0: I thought maybe there's actually a business I can build, not just my little hobby. I am unwilling to give up. That I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You
1: just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm so excited to have my next guest here. We have Kaylin Marcotte here from Jiggy, which is one of my favorite new brands that is out in the market. I'm so, so excited. As a matter of fact, I have my Jiggy Puzzle <laughs> Here that I've been holding on to and told everybody, you cannot build this puzzle yet until I talked to Kaylin because I wanted the beautiful jar, glass jar that it comes in. And I mean, everything about it, we have, you know, the nice jiggy uh, piece here that really is amazing, (laughs) especially when you finish because you have the sealant that you can put on it. That you can actually make this really pretty picture. I could be on your commercial, right, Kaylin?
0: I've (laughs) you are. I'm loving the pitch.
1: I know. I got the whole pitch down. So anyway, very very fun. And I was mentioning to Kaylin that I also sent it to my uh, college daughters, who are so excited to start building it on their floor and their dorm rooms. And I think they already started, uh, but. Yeah, so, so, so fun. So anyway, very, very nice to have you here, Kaylin, and just a little bit about Jiggy. So we'll get into it and obviously have Kaylin tell us a little bit more about it, but she's the founder and CEO, and it's a jigsaw puzzle brand on a mission to modernize and elevate the humble, the uh, somewhat boring Puzzle Market, and uh, she's also doing an incredible job of supporting artists out there in the world, uh, female artists out there in the world, and her story has been featured in many top publications, including Vogue and Elle, so you may, the Today Show, the New York Times, so you may have read about her as well. And prior to launching Jiggy, Kaylin founded uh, Village Strategies, which was a marketing consulting group. But she also worked at another super cool brand called The Skim. We're going to get to talk about that. I love The Skim, too. Another female-founded brand. She lives in Brooklyn. And uh, she's from California. Hopefully, we'll get her back one day to California. (laughs) Uh, She loves spending her free time doing what else but building out jigsaw puzzles, of course. (laughs) And we're just really, really excited to have her here. We're also, so just in case you thought about uh, putting this episode on hold for just a minute, we're going to get to talk to Kaylin about on that little show Shark Tank too. So you have to hear all
0: about that as well. But Kaylin, I'm so excited to have you here. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kara. What an intro, but yeah. I'm
1: thrilled to be here today. Super excited. So tell us a little bit about little Kaylin. Like, how did you get that? Were you always this puzzle going kid that was, you know, constantly looking for that puzzle, doing a puzzle or tell me a little bit more about you as a, as a kid?
0: Yeah, I, I certainly, you know, did puzzles and, uh, and we were a big board game family. So a lot of game nights and my dad had been a physics major in college and my brother was very science oriented as well. So we were, you know, building our own, uh, Goldberg machines and a Van de Graaff generator, and making our hair stand up on on um, its end. So always just kind of tinkering, building. Um, but no, I I was not kind of a puzzle fanatic until I I rediscovered them in adulthood. That's that's awesome. And you you started out in the legal world. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, I was pre-law and undergrad. I majored in political science. I was on the undergrad law review board and thought I was uh, going to take that path. And I hadn't yet taken the LSAT when I graduated college. And so I. Started in management consulting, I thought it you know had parallels to a legal career of being client facing and um, you know analytical, and that it would kind of be a transferable experience. So, started in management consulting while I kind of bought some time to take the LSAT and apply to law schools. And then I met Carly and Danielle, who were the co-founders of The Skim and just total hard right, kind of derailed, but, but ultimately quite the blessing.
1: That's wild. So you were living in New York at the time?
0: Yeah. So I grew up in Pasadena in Southern California, and then I came out to New York for undergrad. So I went to Barnard and uh, had an amazing experience there and then stayed in New York since then.
1: That's why. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. Wow. So So you were at IBM and is that where you were doing the management consulting? Mm-hmm. Like you went there right after college. What do you think about management consulting in general as like a first job?
0: Like what did you learn? Yeah, I think honestly, as a first entry, which so much of your first job, I think, is just learning how to be an adult, you know, employee totally. in the workforce and yeah. like write emails and you know, interact with colleagues and wake up on time and all that. So I think also what management consulting does do is just create such a foundation of just how to think, how to be analytical. You know, they really kind of teach you how to approach, have a framework approach. Um, you know, certainly kind of confidence building to speak in front of clients. Um, so I think some of those just basic foundations are applicable to pretty much anything you do next. So. Uh, I only lasted a couple years in the end, uh, but as a first job, I think uh, it's a great place to start.
1: That's awesome. So transitioning from there into a startup, how big was the skim
0: at the point? So I met the co-founders. Yeah, it was uh, quite the pendulum swing from IBM to essentially the two co-founders, no office, uh, first employee. So I met them about a year after they had launched the newsletter, the mm-hmm. email newsletter, the daily skim, and they did a seed round of funding. And so we're just starting to you know, hire, get an office, build out the team. And we had coffee at a, a coffee shop in the West Village, and just talked about their vision. And um, and I came at it from the angle of being a reader. I had been subscribed very early, and had you know been reading it every morning on my commute. And uh, so really came at it from you know here's what I love about it, here's the opportunity I see. Um, and so we had a coffee, and I remember walking away from it, and it's just like have to be a part of this in some way, shape or form. Um, I was just so connected to, to their mission and vision. And so ended up joining as their first employee. That's amazing. And so what were you doing as their first employee? You know, it was one of those, like there's, there's some idea of the job description, but really kind of, uh, blends into any and everything. But what we had had talked about in those early conversations was really the kind of grassroots approach to growth and marketing mm-hmm. and the idea of a, bat, a brand ambassador program, which ended up becoming SKI ambassadors, and was kind of the, the tentpole um, marketing and community initiative we launched. And so that was essentially audience development and, uh, and kind of community building around the content, um, was my job on paper. And then just by virtue of being there first, you know, office mom and setting up, you know, um, kind of culture team, uh, social media. I was, I was really interested in at the time. This was like kind of 2013, 2014. Um, so took over our, our Instagram and Facebook, um, so yeah, heavy on the the kind of content and grassroots marketing and then some fun kind of team and onboarding stuff. I love it. Did you know at that point that you might
1: want to be an entrepreneur when you joined them or were you actually just excited about going and working for a startup?
0: Yeah, I definitely was just excited to see something that early on and really in those kind of meaty creative days, you know, from Siri, from the seed to, I stayed four years until after the series B. So just like hyper growth, super creative, um, you know, trying everything for the first time. And that pace of just, you have an idea, you try it, did it work to innovate, try it again, you know, and just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and see what sticks. So I, uh, was pretty immediately kind of addicted to just that environment and pace and and the level of, of ownership and creativity. Um, and then kind of slowly started thinking about, you know, what would it look like if I did my own thing and becoming more and more comfortable? I think from the outside, sometimes it's very easy to think like, oh, they, they must know what they're doing. They must have, you know, X, Y, Z skill set that I don't, or as it's this experience that set them up for success. And I think being on the inside and seeing like, we're just winging it, you know, yeah. and, um, and trying and lots of almost, things
1: and yeah,
0: right. right And that, uh, almost like demystified, um, what, what it's like to, to start something. And I think you know, over the four years I was there definitely gave me more and more confidence that I could do it too.
1: It's funny. I'm totally dating myself here, but it's uh, way back when, when I was first starting my career, I had an opportunity and was recruited out of Time Magazine to go to CNN. And this is when mm-hmm. 24-hour news was not you know, worldwide, it was probably in like 40% yeah. of households. And so Ted Turner was running around the office and, you know, truthfully, some days we were like, oh yeah, he really gets it. And other days we we're like, I don't know, maybe we should go work for ABC. <laughs> I mean, we were all like, I don't know. Right. I mean, it was those yeah. moments, uh, the visionary entrepreneur. And, but it was really, the, it was, When I finally decided to go start my own company, and the reason I asked you that question, I never thought I was going to go start my own company when I was back at CNN. I just wanted to go and work for a product, work for a company that I was really excited about, but it really did demystify it. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. we ended up getting on the map when uh, TED and CNN learned that, uh, that there or. Actually, heard that a leader of a country was learning that their country was being bombed by um, another country uh, on CNN, and that's what put CNN on the map. And it was wow. and being there and watching it and watching the audience go from not believing or not really always believing to believing mm-hmm. was really really powerful. And I say mm-hmm. this about you know if you ever have an opportunity to go and work for entrepreneurs, it doesn't even matter if it doesn't totally work out the way that you thought the stuff that you'll learn, the demystification of it all, um, you know, it's just, it's really hard to even articulate or read in a textbook. It's just getting in it and seeing it, I think is just such amazing experience. So uh, yes i, I totally
0: agree yeah I, I it, highly encourage I was just talking to a, a friend about that and how there's kind of the survivor bias after you know of course of course they knew that was going to be successful and like <laughs> i can tell you definitely not you know days of like is this gonna work is it and and a lot of the ideas didn't work and and so I think that um once you've been a part of it and seen that it it certainly, yeah. The demystification is a very valuable experience.
1: Yeah. I always say too that I would have made a lot more money quicker if I would have run the <laughs> videotape on all of the crazy, you know, nights that would have been going on, the reality show that I'm sure you have many of those moments too where you're like, you can't make this stuff up. It's uh yeah. it's crazy. So yeah. so you left the skim and then you decided to launch this product and for those of you who haven't heard about jiggy before or didn't catch the episode of uh shark tank you should definitely watch it where kaylin talks a little bit more about it but for everybody tell us how did you get this idea
0: yeah so it actually started back in the early skim days um when you know everything that that I just said about the experience and the creativity and the pace, which was incredible and such an enriching environment was also very stressful and all consuming. And, you know, it was 2014 and we're starting to talk about like burnout and, you know, like tech fatigue and, and kind of what that would look like in terms of, self-care, meditation, headspace, you know, was, was all the rage. And so I just started thinking about what, you know, what unplugging would look like for me and, and getting away from screen time and all of that and tried meditating and I don't, nothing just really quieted my, my mind. And, um, I had a, you know, just in a stack of, of board games, had a puzzle and did it somewhat randomly and it just clicked immediately. It totally just consumed, gave me kind of productive tunnel vision. uh, And, and, you know, as a chronic multitasker, I just forgot all pings, notifications, and um, it really kind of just quieted and centered me. And so I started doing them pretty much every night, you know, before bed, robe tea, do like half hour of puzzling and um and really kind of felt felt the effects myself. And so just started seeing if it was if that was a thing and found studies connecting them to improve memory and sleep and decreased dementia. And you so know there was a study that yeah, they use it with PTSD patients and people struggling with grief and how, um, it is just kind of this, this escapism and, um, helps pass the time and just kind of center you. So totally adopted it as my kind of nightly ritual. And, um, I was going through about a thousand piece puzzle every week. So constantly online at a toy store nearby looking for more puzzles and all the ones I could find were just like, you said grandma's puzzle, super kind of, you know, stock photography, cheesy landscape photos. And, um, you know, you spend eight to 12 hours immersed in this image, studying every piece of it literally. And so, you know, seedling of the idea was just, couldn't these, this be a better experience if the design I'm putting together were compelling and, Something that you know I want to be living inside of for all these hours, and so that just kind of planted. I started a folder on my phone and uh, I photos of iPhotos of any time I was at a gallery or even Instagram and saw a design that I thought would be fun to puzzle. I just put it in this folder. Mm-hmm. Um, But this was like year one at the skin, and I ended up staying four years. So you know, it was just slowly this idea would keep coming back and take a little bit more shape. And, um, and growing up in LA, my mom spent her entire career in arts, nonprofits and education. And I was always surrounded by the art community. And so, uh, started thinking of, you know, what, uh, interesting kind of platform this, this product is essentially just a vehicle for this design that you're piecing together. So, um, could I kind of merge the two and actually help emerging artists monetize their work by creating this, um, this product that there was demand for. So, uh, it, you know, slowly started taking more and more shape. And then once I was ready to leave the skin after those four years, and in that time, I also had seen some of these fads that gave me more confidence that there was an appetite for this product. So like adult coloring books and kind of just, you know, Pinterest, DIY crafty type uh, products. And so I thought maybe there's actually a business I can build, not just my little hobby. Um, So yeah, I left and started building Jiggy. I love it. So you
1: said you were kind of incubating this idea while you were sitting at, at the skim and your in your spare time. So When you finally launched in November of 2019, how long do you think it took you from the time you actually wrote the business plan to actually, you know, getting it off the ground?
0: Yeah, it was about, it was once I fully dove in, it was pretty quick. It was about um, eight to nine months to make the product, which for me was the steepest learning curve because, you know, coming from the scam, a lot of the Branding, marketing, kind of messaging it came very naturally, mm-hmm. but how do you make a thing and yeah. get it from point A to point B? And uh, so the whole world of yeah, manufacturing and finding a factory and freight logistics, all that um, was was all new to me. So that ended up being taking the longest amount of time, and then you know, prototyped it, found found the right partners um, on the manufacturing side, and ultimately. Yeah, it launched uh, November 2019 and went right into holiday, and, and then four months later, obviously never could have known what was coming, but um, it was threw us into this whirlwind. It's crazy. I remember when you
1: launched we're on a group called the List together, and I remember mm-hmm. you saying that you were we were heading into the holiday season and. And you highlighting that you had just launched this company and I yeah. took a look at it and it was just so, so awesome. I was so proud of you. And so what do you think was like the key learning curve? And you touched on this, but you were not doing physical products at the skim, right? And you were, mm-hmm. it was very similar to me coming into, you know, a physical product. I, mm-hmm. I was at America online in tech and it was bits and bytes My entire career, and then all of a sudden, you know, something I share with entrepreneurs—it's like a whole new level. I mean, even people that have been entrepreneurs in um, the non-physical world, it really is different. And there's things that you have to worry about that you, you know, just never even thought about. Never
0: would have thought timelines
1: and and things. So, what what was kind of the biggest shocker or aha moment in in sort of the physical world? That you just hadn't really thought about.
0: Oh, there were so many. I mean, definitely, just finding the right factor. You know, I I guess I just assumed like there must be directory or lists of them. You know, oh. <laughs> of course there are people out there who make things. I want to make a thing. Like, how hard could it be to find them? And really finding the right partner. You know, all of our packaging and each component of our. Puzzle kit is custom, and so people who you know were working with those materials and also willing to do um, to do a different version and, and create them custom for us, and then also you know minimum order quantities. Okay, we find the right factory, and they're like, "Great, you have to order three hundred thousand of them." <laughs> I can't do that, right? Like, so you know, just every step of the way, like. All right, so how, what can we work out? How do we, you know, um, kind of just creative problem solving every, at every step and, and, um, trying to get them to a yes. And certainly as a pre, you know, pre launch when they don't even know if it's really worth the time to like staff the factory for you, you know, you're unproven as a brand. Um, so that was definitely, uh, hit a lot of road bumps there. And then, you know, freight, we, this year, with the Suez Canal, you just never know. And right. I remember the first time our product was stuck on the boat and, you know, our freight forwarder was like, it's here, it's at the port. They're just not docking it. And I'm like, what do we got to do? Like who, I'll go down to the port. Do we got to like grease someone? Like, tell me what to do. He's like, that's it. Like you wait. And I was like, how can this not be in my control? And I think that's you know, at the scheme, okay, tight deadline, you you pull it all later. You just like, there's a lot more within your control when it's digital. And, um, you know, when it's something that you kind of have the power to execute on in the, I've found that the (laughs) accepting what I can't control and that the timelines, you know, it's what they say, like renovating a house, it's always going to be it longer. Take longer and cost more, <laughs> so I think mean, just yeah, that kind of um, just rules of thumb and learning, you know, the right questions to ask, the right uh, timelines to put into place um, has has certainly been a steep learning curve.
1: So you get through a great holiday season, you're off to the races, everything's going great. Suddenly, COVID hits. Woohoo! Right? I mean, it's yeah. like insane. And so what, so what did you do at this moment? I mean, what, how did you think about your business? How did you survive? How did you um,
0: grow all of those questions? Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you those first few months. I mean, one, just being a New Yorker at this point, I'd been here, you know, 12 years, pretty much all of my adult life. So just what the city was going through those first few totally. months was just so difficult, um, to, to witness. And then at the same time, it was very, there was kind of this, um, very conflicted uh, just emotional experience of actually having our business be booming when, you know, every story was about, People losing their jobs and being out of work, and businesses having to close, and we couldn't keep up with demand. And so, on the one hand, you know, it brought a ton of attention to to our product and and this category. Everyone was looking for at home activity. On the other hand, it brought a lot of supply chain issues, you know, global freight issues, and um, you know warehouses where were, they were signed. So we don't know who's going to show up today. So we can't promise anything in terms of timeline. So, um, just a lot of difficulty to restock quickly enough. Um, so on the one hand, it's like, Oh my God, this like, this is, this is a window of opportunity. Like, We have to meet the moment and rise to the occasion on the other is just a constantly moving target of, um, of trying to, to keep up quickly enough. And so, Essentially, what we did is, you know, we sold out of inventory very quickly and then we created gift cards first. So they were actually puzzle gift cards. So it was a 24 piece puzzle about postcard size. And when you put it together, it unlocks your redemption code. Um, so we launched those to, to kind of tide us over. And then we ended up doing this campaign, which um, became a real kind of moment for for us. And I think it, it really speaks to the kind of need for innovation. That saying, I love um, necessity is the mother of invention, you know, and, and so essentially we were sold out. We were going to be sold out. We rushed into production, but we couldn't restock quickly enough. And so what I was able to get were blank white puzzles. And so nothing was printed on them, but the pieces were cut. They were just white. And, and we had this community of artists who, you know, were also, were talking to them at the beginning of COVID and they're saying, you know, galleries are closed, exhibits are closed, canceled. Like we have nothing to know outlets right now for our work and to support ourselves. So we got these blank white puzzles. We distributed them to the, our artist community and they hand drew and hand painted directly on to these blank whites you know, creating these, these one-of-a-kind pieces of art. And we hosted essentially an auction, you know, an art auction for these originals and, uh, and raised money, split it between the artists and New York city COVID fundraising efforts. Um, and it ended up, you know, being, being a really special campaign. We had some celebrities paint one and help, help kind of get the word out. Um, so yeah, that, that was our, our, um, our, you know, kind of innovation for, for the times. And then we ended up being able to restock and, and kind of launch back in to, uh, to keep up with the demand, but it's been, it's been a crazy year.
1: Crazy time. So supply chain, obviously you talked about being, you're making most of the stuff outside of the country. Do you think you'll you'll try and figure out options on this side of the world? I mean, it seems to be the story for everybody around supply chain who is doing stuff outside of their own country, not just the U.S., yeah. but I feel like everywhere, if the majority of your business is in one country and you don't have the ability to actually get what you need to sell... Um, quickly, it's it's sort of like a huge lesson learned that I think everybody has been really working on. Do you believe that's that's also one that you feel is a is a yeah you know challenge for you that you need to you needed to take
0: on? Yeah, we actually ended up doing it. So you know, because of these, it's kind of a silver lining of these. Constraints that we ended up finding a domestic partner. And so that's opened up a ton of new, you know, uh, new opportunity in that we can essentially print on demand. So be much more nimble with turnaround time, you know, minimum orders. So now, not only can we restock quickly, but we also are able to kind of take on custom projects. So brands, companies who want to do, you know, um, their their logo or or some kind of branded art for employee gifting or you know VIP client gifting or to actually bundle it with a product and have it be kind of an upsell. Um, so yeah, certainly one one silver lining of having to figure something out domestically has been uh, essentially a whole new kind of product line and revenue stream for the business.
1: I love it. That's awesome. We should definitely talk about that for sure. Yeah. For for hint. I love it. So you self-funded the company, correct? Initially. And, uh, and so it was, uh, so how did you do that? What was kind of the strategy behind being able to do that?
0: Yeah. I, you know, again, I had the idea and and been thinking on it for years. And so by the time I actually dove in, um, to doing it had just been saving up and, and, um, was comfortable with just going at it myself, at least in the beginning. And I think it, you know, kind of similar to the originals campaign we ended up doing I think it forced a lot of creativity of having mm-hmm. you know limited the, the the resource constraint you know forced um, a lot of creativity and so um, ended up just bootstrapping and um, and getting creative with you know terms and pre-sales and how to uh, to structure it with the factory and all of that but ultimately was able to launch um, with, with just, you know, the savings over the past couple of years. And then, um, from there just, you know, cash continue flow and, and continue to reinvest and grow it. Yeah.
1: Have you had more people since you were on Shark Tank reaching out to you wanting to invest or I I, I can only imagine actually, we've had a few, um, Shark Tank participants, um, Kodiak oh, yeah. Cakes, and,
0: um, mm-hmm. uh,
1: and, uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot of others, tippy toes to a bunch of others over the years that nice. have been on there. Yeah. Super fun. Yeah. Um, but tell us a little bit about that, it, that experience. So you, you got to the show and mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about, had you met the sharks before you went out to I pitch can, your idea? No,
0: no I had not And I don't know if you, if you do in kind of normal years, but, um, this was also filming. I mean, it was kind of a miracle that they were able to film safely and and make it happen in the middle, you know, um, fall of 2020. So in the middle of all of the restrictions and they essentially, you know, built a bubble and, recreated the whole set in a controlled environment. And so, um, but we, you know, did, did full quarantine and, uh, and didn't meet anyone else, founders or sharks or anyone. Um, and so, yeah, you go out there and, you know, it's kind of uncanny. It looks exactly like it does on TV and they, the door's open and you walk down the carpet and hit your spot. Um, and then, you know, it's one take cameras are are going and I, I think they actually do a pretty good job of kind of camouflaging the cameras behind the set so it doesn't feel super invasive and you really just are able to kind of fall into this dialogue and and get to know the sharks. I think the average time is like 45 minutes to an hour. I was out there about that time. So, you know, certainly there's a lot of the conversation that doesn't make it into the episode. So you really do get to kind of take your time and spend, uh, spend time on each of their, their questions. Um, but yeah, I, I, of course I was nervous and, uh, and you're know, trying to juggle all these things of. Okay, I want the product to look beautiful. I got to nail my numbers. You know, how, what would the value proposition to each shark be? How do I convince them? I also just want to be likable on TV. Like, I, you know, all of yeah, these. all of it. What do, wear, right? what do I wear? What I do want? I wear? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, all of that for the, the weeks and months leading up. But then, day of just try to go out there and, you know, the opportunity to share the brand and my story with, with, the sharks. And then ultimately, you know, the the country was really, really special.
1: And ultimately did a deal with Mark Cuban, which was amazing. So tell me, tell us about, you know, that deal a little bit. So I I actually loved Daniel from Kind Bar and and his, how he approached it. And he sort of laid it out and said, this is what you should ask him for. I don't, I can't remember exactly. (laughs) I was like, oh, that is so funny. But tell, I thought it was really creative. Actually, I give I give Daniel a lot of credit too. At least the way that it came off, as kind of thinking outside of the box a little bit about this. Right, you didn't go into it actually thinking that that's what you were going to do. Right in the initial deal.
0: Yeah, you know, I really went in just thinking about who you know. I really wanted a partner. The business was doing well you know we weren't looking at fundraising um you know outside of the show and so really just went in thinking like who who is connecting with the mission who seems to see the vision and and is interested in being a, a partner in this and just having watched the show so much um just as a viewer and certainly preparing for it i really felt that you know mark in is a partner for entrepreneurs and that mentorship totally um, but yeah Daniel's uh, Daniel was great he was I was really glad he was on on my panel um, and you know each of them gave just a little bit of feedback that um, that is really helpful and insightful and just their their quick take even when they go out they you know give give some little nugget that you can uh, you can incorporate and so to. yeah.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. So, what was the actual deal again? Just to remind people, because I thought it was a little bit unique.
0: Yeah. So, we did, we landed at $500,000 for 15%. And then I asked him to meet to match our donation fundraising effort so during 2020 we had through this originals campaign and some other initiatives that we did we were raising money for artists who were out of work that's what it was due to covid yeah so we asked him to match fifty thousand dollars of fundraising which is awesome It's so great
1: and such a good i mean he I, I loved the, the last piece that he talks about actually in, in the frame at the very, very end where he says that he's investing in you, which I think is so true. true. I, I mean, I, I would say that most of our investors as well, I mean, they love the business. They think it's going to work. They believe in it, but they invest in the people, right? And I think mm-hmm. it's the same thing that I think about you know, what consumers do too, that they, you have to have a great product, but then they start getting curious about who's behind the product. And part of the reason why I want to do this show is really to share that story and get the, your story out more too. But um, so what can we expect from Jiggy in the next year?
0: Yeah. Um Yeah, a lot ahead. Really excited to, to share it all. So we... This year have launched our puzzle club, which for the puzzlers Love who it. can't get enough, we uh, have a monthly membership. So you get a jiggy every single month. Um, we are also going to be launching our own frames. So as you mentioned, each puzzle comes with a tube of puzzle glue and the whole idea is these are real pieces of art by our, these emerging artists we work with. So we are launching our own frame pairings for the puzzles. Um, we will also be going into kids puzzles. So an incredible whole new batch of artists who I love it who focus in kids art. So those will be a hundred piece puzzles for kids. Um, and then, you know, we really core to the mission are these, uh, these artists who we support and help monetize their work. So we're really looking into ways and platforms to. Um, be able to work with so many more artists. We you know, have a wait list going and we only release a certain amount at a time. So a ton more to come in terms of um, how many artists we can work with. And then really excited to keep exploring these like, collaborations as well. As I mentioned, we've been doing some corporate custom, but we've also started working with nonprofits and um, and organizations to create a puzzle around their mission. And we did one before the 2020 election with Sophia Bush's organization, mm-hmm. I'm a Voter. And three incredible female artists created a piece of art around voting and what that phrase, I'm a voter means to them. We turned those into puzzles and those, um, uh, the proceeds went to to help for voter registration and turnout. Um, we're doing a couple, uh, this year, uh, October's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So we have a, a boobs puzzle, um, that we're helping raise money with. So yeah, a lot more kind of fun collaborations and custom projects as well. That's what's.
1: I absolutely love it. And uh, we bought the boobs project. So I I, I loved, absolutely love that one and love everything that it represents too. Well, I think you are doing some amazing things and I'm so excited to see where this goes going forward. And uh, more than anything, where can people find Jiggy? Tell everybody.
0: Yes, we are Jiggy Puzzles everywhere.com, Instagram, Facebook, Journey Puzzles. Awesome. And how about you? Where can people find
1: Kaylin and follow more about your journey?
0: Yeah, I am Kaylin Marcotte on social media and LinkedIn can connect and uh, follow the journey there. So great. And for
1: everybody who is listening, thank you so much for listening to Kaylin's incredible journey. And, uh, it just makes me want to go do puzzles. I need to look into that (laughs) puzzle of of the month because it's such a great idea. I'm so curious. The one question I didn't ask you. So what is the size puzzle that people seem to be okay doing? Right. That it's not too small. It's Mm. not too big. Mm. Mm. Like I just wrote a book recently and I heard like, you don't want it more than 250 pages. Two hundred and fifty is mm. like the magic number. Anything over that, it's like, eh, maybe. But anyway, I'm so curious. Is there a puzzle yeah. prize?
0: I would say our core, like if you're if you're a comfortable puzzler and you know do them on a somewhat regular basis, our larger, the eight hundred to a thousand, like that's pretty the standard, you know, thousand piece. Um, and then five hundred, and our smaller one is four fifty. I think it's kind of the the gateway puzzle, if you're just <laughs> tipping your, your, you know, your toes in. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why we split those two sizes and, uh, and we also wanted them to complete at standard frame sizes for our framing, which they do. But, um, yeah, I think, I think 500 and then a thousand, uh, and we're actually, going to be adding to the site difficulty ratings? Because that is a question we get a lot. I bet it
1: is. you know,
0: it's not just the size, it's the art and how much of one color and whole areas or how detailed is the design. So, yeah, we're launching a difficulty rating for each each design too. I love it. That's
1: that will uh definitely <laughs> that you know, I I think I I think about the difficulty, but I just take <laughs> on the hard stuff anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and, Go on. Why not? Right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Kaylin. And if everybody, we thank are here so every Monday and Wednesday. We're on Apple and Spotify. And as I was telling Kaylin, this podcast is trending as one of the number one entrepreneur podcasts nationwide in Incredible. the U.S. and also worldwide. We're hearing from so many different places outside of the us and i love 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 talking to entrepreneurs and hearing how they built what they've done and hearing all of the challenges along the way and hopefully you're all inspired by learning from kaylin and other entrepreneurs that really hopefully make you realize that you can do it you have to have an idea you have to go out and try And tackle things and just figuring out how to make that first step is really often the hardest. And thank you so much, Kaylin. Everybody go and buy a puzzle from Jiggy Puzzles and have a great rest of the week, everyone. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much.
1: Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness.